of Philippians. The very last passage of Philippians is where we are at. This uh, this epistle that we've been on for uh, these past six months. And I actually am saying reluctantly, uh, I don't really want to leave this marvelous book that we've been in. This is a, a great letter. I think it's been really timely. I think it's been relevant. I think it's been very practical for myself uh, and probably for all of us as uh, the Word of God is uh, always good for all of us at any time. But uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at a topic I think it's really been very important. It's important for everybody. It's a topic of contentment, which is always a challenge to anybody dealing with uh, with that. And uh, so sometimes... We have to realize and remember and back up a little bit and say, oh yes, that's right, I'm supposed to be content with this. And so we learn that, and sometimes we forget, and so we have to back up and uh, remember that, uh, oh, that's right, uh, Paul learned that, so that means we have to learn it too. And so that has been very valuable, uh, as well as all the other sections. And I think uh, the... The whole idea of it is to have this inner quiet rest about us no matter what storm is going around because of the providence of God. Because of the very character of God, we can take those promises that He has and realize that they're good. And He's he has everything planned out. He's going to work all this. And you remember that one verse that we dealt with last week? My God will supply all your needs. Famous verse. All of us have heard of it. But yet, sometimes we forget that one too, don't we? My God shall supply all your needs. He will supply all my needs, Paul says. And in that, we express our gratitude to God. Because we know He always has. We know He's doing it now. and We know He always will for eternity. And He will always do that. We uh, are to see God's love not only in times that are lovely, at times of affliction, knowing our strength is in Christ. And I think we uh, sang a song this morning dealing with His strength. And uh, when we have His strength, then we have His joy. And of course in Philippians, we've seen the word joy and rejoice pop up quite frequently. And all that comes from His grace to us. Now, there have been so many verses in this book that have been so familiar. And I think... So many of them are just dear to our hearts because we use them. We apply them daily, uh, constantly. We may not be thinking of those particular verses, but we know that uh, a lot of those truths come right out of there. But a lot of them we have memorized uh, and not only used, but we've, we've had them for encouragement. We, we give them to encouragement for others and for ourselves. They're great exhortations. They're great promises. And they're great challenges in here, aren't there? And so Philippians is very familiar to us, very memorable epistle, something I think we'll uh, always remember. And whether we ever go by this way again, who knows, but uh, I know that uh, this is a valuable, valuable book. What we're going to do before we close it up here uh, this week and, and this day, we're just going to kind of do a little bit of review before we come to our final verses and remember some of those famous verses some of those powerful verses, all based upon the character of God. In Philippians 1.6, if you'll remember this, For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it 
until the day of Christ Jesus. He will perfect. He is continuing to perfect each one of us, all of us as a group, the whole body of Christ, the invisible church. That's what He's doing. And so He's working that work in us. In Philippians 1.21, remember this one, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, living is Christ, isn't it? And there's something even better. We'll be with Him one day. Verse 29 of that same chapter. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. For His sake. Wow. Not only to believe in Him. It was granted to you to believe in Him. But also to suffer for His sake. So, we have the gift of salvation. We have the gift of suffering from Him. And uh, Philippians talks about that. That's a very balanced book. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Actually, back up a little bit before that. In verse four or verse five, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, but becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My, He could have stopped right there, couldn't He have? My, is that a glorious passage. And that's showing that He was like us and yet He was fully God. What a great passage there. And then you continue on in in verse 12. So then, my beloved, because all that, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Well, that puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Here's what He's done for you. He is Lord. And uh, because of that, we should desire to obey Him. If He is Lord, what does that mean? We are His servants. We are slaves. He's the Master. And we should rejoice in that because what a privilege it is to be a slave of Christ because He's working in us so that we can be like Him as we do it in fear and trembling because it's His will and it's for the glory of His good pleasure. Wow. He takes pleasure in that. Did you know He's taking pleasure today? Just being with us. He's right here. And He's taking pleasure. Because we're trying to be anchored on His Word and focusing in on who He is. It's not about us, is it? It's not, we're not here to, for our own selves. We're here for Him. And as a result of that, the goodies do come. The great joy, right? Continuing on in uh, chapter 3, verse 8. I think he kind of virtually summarizes the gospel for us right here. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is worthless compared to knowing Him. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, all those religious things, and count them but rubbish, trash, so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith so that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's a good one to remember, isn't it? He had gone through all that stuff and he saw how worthless it was compared to knowing Christ. And then we we look at 3.14 and he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you like that? I press on towards the call. Towards that goal for the prize of the upward call. Chapter 3, verse 20. Another famous verse. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're citizens here in the flesh as we live here in the flesh, but yet we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens of heaven, no less. Chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Do you have that peace of God? And then in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things of God. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak from want, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So being content doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances. Did did we get that? Contentment doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances. I've learned to be whatever I am. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Another famous one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever situation that we're in, I can do it. And in verse 19, we dealt with last week, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. With that, what else is there to the book of Philippians? It could have ended right there. But no, there's still more. And we tend to read these things at the end and just blow by Him because He's already done His best and He just kind of gives a little see you later. But there's more to it than that. Um, Not everything's been said. There are a few more words that Paul had. Paul ends with a very special, gracious blessing that we all need. The Philippians needed it. We need it. We need to hear the Gospel. We need to hear the glory of God and the grace of God, which is all in this glory and grace. How can we not kind of take a little taste of this this morsel here? So this is the way that he closes as we start in verse 20 and go through 23. And uh, we will conclude this message as Paul concluded it here as he... uh, was inspired by the Holy Spirit as he handed over the letter to Epaphroditus to take to the Philippians. And uh, here we are today reading the same letter that they have. Now, do you call that pretty remarkable? We have a letter 
that the Philippian church read. And it was to them and we get to get in on it and it's to us also. Here it is. Now to our God and Father, the glory and forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for manifesting that in your word, in our lives. And as we look at this doxology, we look at the greetings, we look at the grace of Jesus Christ this morning in your word, may it really bring to our attention what a great God you are and how we are to fellowship with you and your saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 20, now to our God and Father. As he's closing it up here, that's a good place to go, isn't it? Hey, I'm giving God all the glory in this. Paul's saying, I got inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down to you all, and I want to give glory to God. The word there is dealing with uh, it's doxa, glory, doxology. We, we sing that song. It's, it's about glory to God. It's a word about glory. It's ascribing glory. Uh, even to get more closer to that definition, it's a response of praise to a great truth. It's responding with praise to something you just heard. These great truths. God supplies all the needs of the saints. That's what verse 19 says. And doesn't that want to make you just burst out with praise whenever you think God supplies all my needs? And so that's what Paul does. Uh, Be the glory. It's divine honor, divine praise, divine adoration knowing that He's a God of excellence. So He explodes forth with this doxology and say, Janus, what can you do with these four verses? It's just a closing. It's just a greeting. We have greetings usually in our letters at the top of the letter, you know. And we're saying hi and how are you and then we get on with what we're trying to say. Or emails anymore, maybe. Uh, but their letters close with that. And that's what Paul does here. Truth from God and, and they're getting things that they've never read before, never heard before, things that they have heard before. And Paul is exhilarated because he's just gotten Holy Spirit truth that he wrote down. And so he's exhilarated for the fact of what God gave him. It's a great truth. And so we should desire to burst forth in praise. Every time you read God's Word and you see a promise, don't you really want to start praising Him? And that's a natural thing to do. We respond to God because of His truth. We praise Him. Truth should produce glory to God. Now, let's take a few verses in Scripture. Do you guys like to do that? you like to go to other passages just to see how Paul or somebody else wrote, see how they're in agreement? In Romans chapter 11... 33, he gave one of the most famous doxologies that's found anywhere. In Romans 11, he closes out a great doctrinal section as he gets ready to set out now on 
how the Christian's walk is to be. In verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. And he borrows an Old Testament passage. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Man, that makes me want to sing. (laughs) After you think about all the great precious truths in the book of Romans, where first of all, He just brings us all down and shows how to pray and how wicked and how we are nothing and there is nothing good about us at all. And then He bursts forth, but you are justified. You're justified by faith. And then He goes to show that uh, we're justified by the resurrection of Christ. And because the faith that has been given to us, then we now are justified by faith, declared righteous before a holy God. And he explains that and then tells about what the the nation of Israel, what it is in their future. What about them? And then he gets at the end and he says, what amazing riches. The depth of it, it's, it's beyond my understanding as he draws from the Old Testament. He says, everything comes from him. This is, you know, he bursts forth in, in this glorious praise. Now, in, in Romans 16, now that was just before he got into it, he, he had all these doctrines. And Romans is the most doctrinal book in, in all the Bible. <laughs> and knowing Paul, the great theologian, he had to be just overwhelmed. And that's what he did. I mean, can you think of a better doxology? But in, in 16, as he closes the letter out, he wasn't done yet in chapter 11, just to, in case somebody was reading a letter and say, oh, I guess that's it. Well, he wasn't. He has more chapters to go, and then we get into uh, Romans 16, 27, the very last verse. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. We truly agree. Now let's go back to our text, Philippians 3. 3 talks about being cautious of those, the false circumcision. And then he says, look at this. We, for we are the true circumcision. Here it is. Who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, the, the Judaizers were putting confidence in the, in the flesh. The circumcision. All the rituals. Everything that they were to do before Christ came. All those things that were pictures of Christ. They put into that. Paul did too. And now he says, we. But we are the true circumcision now. And we're not talking physical circumcision. We're talking the ones who worship in the Spirit of God. only way we can worship is to have the Spirit of God. We cannot worship without truth, right? And the Spirit of God is the one who brings the truth to us. Those two go together. And because of that, we give glory. Because we have true worship, then true glory goes up to Him. And what do we do? You, you see that? We put no confidence in the flesh. We say, I die. Right? I die. It's Him. 
I want to sing up high and lift it up. So that's that's a, a, a doxology, uh, worship, honor, respect, fear, praising God. That's the idea of this uh, glory here. All your needs are met by God. And because of that, we are grateful, we are thankful, we should really desire to praise Him because we've seen what He's done. So, we worship God by knowing truth about who He is. That's why you have to continue to study. That's why churches meet together to know about Him. Oh, it's so sad that people are not taking this word right here. That's what we're focusing on. You're not here to hear my opinion. Man, if you are you, <laughs> i got news for you. You're here to hear the Word of God declared, to read it, to let that come to your minds in truth. That's what we're here for, isn't it? And as a result of that, it, it goes to praise to Him. And we know Him then. So it's, it's not just a, well, I've already read this, I've heard this. No, it, it's no desire to know Him more. A continual thing. How can you worship Him if you don't know anything about Him? How's the weak body of Christ today knowing Him as we went to that conference this week? We heard some really good preaching. And man, I'll tell you what, it was really inspiring and enlightening to me. And it's good to hear when people say, brothers, we need to preach the Word. It was pastors that they were talking to. There were probably a thousand people there and 500 of them pastors somewhere in that nature. Somewhere. And they're challenging the pastors to preach the Word. And I've got a feeling most of them there, probably the reason they were there was because they probably do do that. But there are a lot of pastors who are failing because they want to entertain the people. And so they have nothing but entertainment and meet the felt needs of the people and the people aren't getting what they really need, which is right here. This is what we have done. Thank the Lord. It isn't to any credit to me or our church. Thank the Lord for 27 years the Word of God has been at the forefront. And that is what it is about. It can't change. It has to be the same way. And uh, when you hear other people saying that, and they say, you just need to preach the Bible through the Bible. <laughs> you go, well, thank the Lord. Isn't that good to hear? We don't have to try to come up with things that are, well, I just need to be relevant. Well, the Word of God is relevant as can be. Read the book of Philippians, right? Is that relevant? We could go into the book of Amos and be relevant. We go into Malachi and be relevant. We can go into Genesis and be relevant, can't we? It speaks to us here today. It's true. And for that, we give Him glory. Now to our God and... He's our God. He's our God. Paul says He's my God. He's our God, right? In verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs. And then he says, Now to our God and Father. Jesus said, Here's how you pray, disciples. Our Father who art in heaven. That is quite the privilege to call Him Father. Never in the Old Testament time period did people ever even think of Him. How terrible that would be to ever call Him Father. 
And Jesus says, here's how I want you to start your prayers. Our Father. You can call Him even Abba Father. Daddy Father. A personal Father. He's our Father. Our God. The Creator has an intimate relationship with us. He knows us. He wants us to know us. And so to think about that is that what He does is He makes a balance here. When we go to God, we go there in fear and trembling in one sense. We fear and tremble because of His Word. But yet in another sense, we recognize that He is Father and we can go without a scaredy cat fear. We are reverencing Him and in awe and respect in a great way, but yet we know we can come right to Him. Boy, that's a balance, isn't it? Isn't that great? Philippians 1-2, look at this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's how Paul started this letter. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who's also our brother. And we can go to them. You know what? True worshipers see Him as Father. True worshipers. True worshipers are the ones He seeks out. Those who will worship Him. That's who He wants. People who will worship. He's our God. He's our Father. That's in a family way. That's the idea of this word here. Not just a general Creator Father over everybody. The fatherhood of God, that... uh, is really taken out of context. He's only Father to the ones who are His children. Yeah, He is the Creator of them, but not in that intimate Father way. So only Christians and believers. Father, He wants to meet our needs. He desires... He takes pleasure in meeting our needs. He does it all day long. Every day long, He meets our needs. So when He adds the word Father, He immediately closes that gap. And uh, He's not just Lord and God, but He's Father. And so we see now to our God and Father be the glory, which we've been talking about, forever and ever. Amen. Sounds like a a song. Forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Forever and ever. You you know what that means. (laughs) Unending. (laughs) Forever and ever. How long is it? Doesn't it? Cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle. And that is what we will do. We will worship Him forever and ever and someday in a perfect way. We'll finally reach that point of getting that perfect worship. You know, we work on it so hard. We practice on it hard every week, you know, as a group. And of course, individually, we worship all day long. That's a characteristic of a Christian. They just worship. Their whole lifestyle is worship, right? That's what we do. That's what we, that's breathing. Uh, We worship. But it sure is great to worship with you guys. And I'm so thankful for it. May I never take it for granted. Whenever I say that, I really mean it from the bottom of my heart because that's um, what God has done in uh, giving us one of the greatest privileges in all the world. Because, as he goes into the next verse, as he brings God to the forefront, then he puts it on the level of now the saints. That's the way it always is. We first seek God. People think the church is for themselves. And it's not. It's, it starts with God. It's all about Him. 
Do we put Him at the forefront? Is He put up to the very top? And then, as a result of that, we do as the church is to do. When we worship Him together, then we are on the right level now of saints greeting each other, fellowshipping. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Okay. So now we come to greeting every saint. And that's what Paul does as he greets the Philippian saints. Not the New Orleans saints, but the Philippian saints. Quite a football team they had back then. Sorry about that. Greetings. Hi. Hello. How you doing? Right? One of those kind of things. But it's with affection. It's having a, a real desire for the well-being of them. That's the idea when he says greet every saint. I really want your well-being. I really care about you. I want the best for you. Isn't that great? Paul had love. Paul had compassion. When you read the whole letter of Philippians, you realize the love and compassion that he has. And he wanted, for the, he wanted the very best for the Philippian saints. Now, he includes everybody here. He just doesn't talk about Epaphroditus or a couple of the other ones. But it's everybody. He's intending for each one there to have that greeting from him. Oh, Paul was saying hi to me. Wow. Yeah. So, you know what? 2,000 years later, I can say, Paul's saying hi to me. (laughs) That's pretty cool. He didn't know me. Maybe I'll know him and he'll know me. Uh, well, we will. Paul's saying hi to you through God's Spirit. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Right there, that's good enough. In Christ Jesus. I'm sure he really wasn't thinking 2,000 years ahead. I'm sure he was thinking the Lord could return back any time. <laughs> this word is uh, for saint is hagios. That's a familiar word, isn't it? It's holy or saint. Uh, Set apart. Separate. That's holy. Hallowed. Right? All those words are... As a matter of fact, the word halo probably comes from hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Halo. Huh. You know those pictures, the halos? You know what? This word saint here has no halos around it. And there were no halos around the people in Philippi. I can guarantee that. No halos. That idea wasn't even thought of till a lot later. In the New Testament, everyone who is a Christian, every believer is a saint. They're a holy one. Be holy for I am holy. That means practice it. But also positionally, we are holy. We have been set apart. We have been made separate. And all Christians then are that. A saint is not one who is to have some kind of unsurpassable devotion to Christ. And they're way beyond other human beings. A saint is not a super person. He's one who's separated from sin to God. He's separated from sin, separated to God for holy purposes. Now, the Roman church says that 
people who live lives of unsurpassable devotion to Jesus Christ are worthy to be called saints. They are canonized, which means to need a spiritual standard or lifted up as spiritual models. And so these canonized, unsurpassably devoted people are called saints and only a few get to be called that. And so then you see statues and you see stained glass windows are made of them and they're venerated and they're to be prayed to and appealed to and praised and exalted and honored. And that whole thing is very uncomfortable to us. And it should be because they're, they're just people. But that's the idea. Whenever you hear the word saint, biblically, he's talking about every Christian. It's not that we are to be venerated. Um, you might see people bowing their knees before those saints, bringing flowers and gifts to the saints. Others will be burning candles and in sophisticated buildings, and some will be offering incense, and people will be meditating upon the virtues of the life of that individual called a saint. Now, this is done because they want to have people that have a special clout with God. And so you can not only pray to God, you can pray to Mary who was just a human, or you can pray to these people who are called saints and they'll get your prayers to God. And uh, he, you know, that's, uh, they are to be honored and they intercede with God for our needs. They become intermediate intercessors. That's what saints are about. You go and pray to them. If they have a particular value about them, then, hey, I need that. I'm going to go to this saint. And I'm going to go to this saint for this. So now, rather than the one formidable, amazing intercessor, Jesus Christ, we have other intercessors. Now that's the teaching of the Roman church. I'm not trying to cut it down. That's just what they say. If you ask any one who is knowledgeable at all, they would say, yes, you're right. That's right. And you can ask them, do you pray to this saint? Yes, I do. Scripture says we only have one mediator, that, in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's a dishonor. That is not true worship, and I say that just for the fact this is what the Bible says. The other one says this is what man made up. Nowhere in Scripture whatsoever. So we're not to appeal to God to plead to a saint for Him to plead for you. One little boy, when he was asked about the stained glass, he said that saints are stained glass figures who block out the sunlight. (laughs) Then another one came along and said, no, saints are people who let the light shine through them. I think that's pretty aptly said. Saints who are all believers let the light of Jesus Christ shine through us. That's what a saint is. True definition of a saint, when the light of Christ exists and shines through the very believer. The light of Christ shines through. Let's look at Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. We're bondservants. And he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, all the saints. I'm writing this letter to all the saints. All the ones. All the holy ones. All the ones who have been made like Christ who are Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Many, many places we go to. We're not going to try to beat this one to death, but just go to a couple. And, uh, 
1 Corinthians 1, Paul called as an apostle. He doesn't say bondservant this time. It's an apostle. There's a reason. You remember the book of Corinth? He had to establish his authority with them because they were even saying that he wasn't an apostle. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. <laughs> all right, all right. That's authority, right? By the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified. What's sanctified? Well, it's the same word, hagios. To be set apart, to be made holy, to be separate. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints, or hagios, saints, set apart, holy, hallowed, by calling, He calls us. With all who are in every place, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. What did He call the Corinthians? You remember our study on Corinthians, right? He called them saints. Corinthians? The Corinthians are saints? I doubt that, right? Well, yes, they were. They certainly were. Had a little ways to go, but uh, they, they were Christians. Now, another little phrase here. Little, a lot of meaning. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. In Christ, in Christ is where the sainthood takes place. That's the saint's identity. In Christ. Back to Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is King. To live, even to live, is Christ. That's what it's about. It's Christ. And when you think about that, it's, you know, we are in Christ. He is my life. He is my everything. He's all in all. Galatians 2.20. Oh, that sounds like a famous memory verse, doesn't it? Just back a few books. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. My life is Christ. My life is Christ, Paul says. That is what it's about. That's identity, isn't it? All those in Christ. All the saints in Christ Jesus were placed in Him. We don't just believe Christ. We are in Him. He is our life. He is in us. So we just don't believe this, the facts about Jesus Christ. We trust Him. He's our very life. He died and rose. We die with Him. We rise with Him. He provides salvation. We don't just believe that He's coming again. We're not only believing that there is Christ, but we're believing in Christ, but we are in Christ in a union of life. In Christ. We are bonded to Christ. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He's bonded to Him, in Him. Now, you know what? There is no other religion in the world that has any such kind of doctrine whatsoever. And all of them would refuse it. Have you ever heard of people saying, I'm in Buddha? Have you ever heard that? In Buddha. That, that word even sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Buddha. There was a song written about it years ago. Buddha. Oh, Buddha. Russ Taff, I think, did it. Imperialism. They just believe in the teachings of Buddha. They're not in Buddha. 
about uh, Mohammed, the Muslim faith, fastest growing religion in the world. <laughs> we know how much that's spreading, don't we? Starting to take over the West, starting to take over our country. None of them say we are in Mohammed. Have you ever heard of in Mohammed? No. I mean, their belief of God would never have that. Matter of fact, they don't really have a relationship with their Mohammed. I mean, or, or their God. Now, Mohammed was a prophet. Speaking of Allah there. Prophet of Allah. But you get the idea, don't you? All those great religions of the world that are so-called great, that are absolutely false, <laughs> never are, are you in their leader. How about Mary Baker Eddy? Nobody ever said, I am in Mary Baker Eddy. They are not in their religious leader. They're not in their swamis. They're not in their yogas. They're not in their leaders, uh, the occult leaders. They're not in, they don't have that kind of relationship. They just know some things about what their false ideas of God are, which is really they are God. So, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul really meant something there when he said that, so don't just lightly glib over that, right? In Christ Jesus. That's an amazing thing to be thinking about. That is totally different than any other religion. And he says, greet every saint. And then he says also, the brethren who are with me, greet the saint. I'm saying... Tell everybody there I'm saying hi. By the way, the people that are with me, they're saying hi too. Where's he at? Oh, he's in, he's in prison in, in Rome. He's got people with him. He's writing this letter. There's pretty formidable folks here that are with Paul. <laughs> um, you have to think of Timothy, Epaphroditus, Onesipus, Mark, Luke, maybe several others. Many that we've heard, like especially in, in maybe in the, the end of the book of Romans, all those lists of saints there, some of them we've never heard of, and others we go, huh, yeah, I've heard about him a little bit. He's in a couple other verses somewhere. Now, just to even get in the Bible one time, pretty amazing, you know, that God would put your name in there. It's probably good that... Most people's names aren't put in there. For most of the time, when their names are put in there, they they get to see everything of that person, <laughs> especially if they're in there a lot. And show the good and the bad. But um, these are brethren who are who are with me. They're they're coworkers. You know, I mean, people would tend to put them high up on the ladder, although they're really not. They're they're servants, servants of God. And he describes them as as the brethren. The brethren. Who with me? As he closes, the brethren here are saying hi to. He doesn't drop any names here. Um, doesn't rank anybody. They're all in commonality of the, of the sainthood. So that's what we're saying. So you greet every saint. We talked about God. Talk about hey, we're saying hi. And by the way, the brethren here with me are saying hi. And we break it down into another one, verse twenty-two. All the saints greet you. All the saints greet you. Not just those particular brethren that you might be familiar with, but all the saints here in Rome are greeting you. Especially those of the household of Caesar. Okay, this is really good. I think Paul is modeling what the community, the fellowship, the body of Christ is about. And how they work their gifts. 
Everybody has their own gifts that God has given them. And as we work those gifts around, we find out people are doing things that seem to be behind the scenes. Never hear anything about, but there's things happening there that you go, huh, I never ever thought about that. It might be visible ways of serving the church. It might be something that's totally invisible. People are interacting with each other and whatever that is. We're always challenged to that, folks. We want to get better at it. You know, we're coming from a worldly way and it takes years to know and and to be like Christ. We have to be patient. But it's kind of interesting to see how God's working. If you're a believer, God is working in you. And and if you want to be obedient, then uh, His glory can be seen. But um, Paul is just showing congregationally what, uh, what he thinks of them and how they're in the communion of the saints. He's concerned for the whole of the congregation. And not just in Philippi. But everywhere. He's connecting Rome with Philippi. Hey, all the saints here in, in Rome, hey, they're giving you a greeting. I don't know them. Yeah, but they're saying hi. They're saying grace and peace and, and that kind of thing. He, he writes that in there because I'm sure many of them had uh, questions. Hey, what's going on in Philippi? How's our brothers and sisters doing there? You know how that is, right? So we should be caring for all of the body of Christ. Wants them to be thinking about things. A fraternal bond in Christianity. Isn't that good? The true fraternity. So he says all those things. Now, of course, she could look at the end of Romans and see why those listed there. The next one I think is really fascinating. Because he says, especially, I want you to take note, Paul is saying, those of Caesar's household. Anybody's familiar with Philippians, and we've already talked about it already, but, uh, back in chapter 1, verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else, as he's chained to the guards, the soldiers. You know, they hear about it. As his friends come and visit, as he talks to them, and also Paul is not going to just sit there and not say anything to these guys that are over on his sides. <laughs> He's definitely going to make sure that they hear the gospel, and he has different ones, different watches all through the day. And uh, so, therefore, the whole Praetorian Guard already know about what he's saying. Not all of them are believers, but they all know what he said. There are many of those soldiers knew full well, full well what the gospel was. And uh, those guards, many of them became converted. And others started to hear about the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of those were in the household of Caesar. We're not just talking about the praetorian guard here now. He takes it up a step further. And I want you to think how far this gospel went. Who was the Caesar at that time? The Caesar's household. Nero. You all know about Nero. One of the worst of the Caesars. He hated Christians. Could just as well have them all killed and be fine with him. Makes it more remarkable when he says those of his household were becoming Christians. 30 years after the time of Christ? You've got to be kidding me. The Roman Empire? All the way up to the Caesar's household? Right into the White House? This, this means maybe in the immediate family, 
And it means the princes, the judges, the higher-ups, some of his own personal bodyguards, cooks, servants, food tasters, musicians, custodians, security, all the people that are in his cabinet. We don't know how many there were, but this is affecting inside the very leadership of the world. This Rome represented the world. The empire at that time. A great number of people. You know what? Paul had to be having a tremendous joy as God set him in the middle of the Roman Empire in jail, but yet testifying the gospel and the good news and it's getting all the way up into the household of Caesar. Wow, God, you are a God of providence. He had to have been blown away by the fact of the audience that he was getting or as it was being brought forth out to them. Now, can you imagine getting arrested here in the United States today as a Christian for proclaiming the Word of God and being sent up to Washington, D.C., made a spectacle of, and yet being able to bring forth the truth of God and then people in the President's immediate family become Christians? It's possible. Be praying for that. Pray for the President. President really needs this gospel. What would happen if the President of the United States became a Christian? All havoc would probably break loose more than what it is now. And there's a lot of havoc happening, folks. need to be praying. What if you saw lives changed as his own household dismissed emperor worship. That's really what Nero wanted for people to bow down to him and call him Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar. That's why Christians, early Christians lost their lives within the next, as in those, those years. Because if you say Jesus is Lord, you were not only arrested, but you were killed. So, but you can say, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, Caesar. Then you were okay. And so uh, a lot of these are saying, I'm turning my back on that ridiculous idol worship and emperor worship. The crucified Christ is my life now. And so, you know what? Christ is now getting in to rule the governments of the world spiritually. Getting into even governmental leaders at that time. And he has his people scattered here and there. Uh, I want to tell you something that uh, could be very true. Jerome, a couple of hundred years or so after this time, tells us that Nero's wife became a Christian. What did you say? Nero's wife became a Christian. Now, I can't confirm that. I can't tell you for sure, but that's what Jerome wrote down. So I don't know historically, but he said that. Paul's already saying to the Philippians that there are Christians in the household of Nero. 
Mark, this is good for us today, isn't it? This, I mean, this is positive. In the very highest reaches of the realms of this empire, Philippians, God has converted some people that are in the household or family of Caesar himself, of Nero. And he's building the church of Jesus Christ right there. Is that phenomenal? I think Jesus Christ can do anything. They're turning the world upside down. This is the message that we heard so often. We need to start making an impact out there. We are the salt and the light. We need to show the person of Jesus Christ by just simply proclaiming this truth. It is not popular. It is not politically correct. It will not ever be politically correct. But when you stand for this, you never know how God's going to use that. Right? 30 years after Christ was crucified, converts in the household of the emperor of the Roman Empire. I emphasize that because that just knocks me out to think about that. And um, that was in A.D. 63, 64... About 130 years later, in A.D. 197, Tertullian, early church father, wrote a letter to Roman citizens saying this, We are but of yesterday. That means we've only been around a little while. He's talking about the church. 130 years. We've been around a little while. We are but of yesterday, but we have filled your empire. Your cities, your islands, your forts, your towns, your marketplaces, your very military camps and wards and companies and palace and senate and forum, all of these swarm with Christians. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. They are the only places that you can name in your empire where there are not Christians. You could go anywhere in the Roman Empire and there were certain Christians planted everywhere. 170 years after the Lord Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again, Tertullian wrote that. And then, that was about 315, Christian religion will be made legal for the first time in the Roman Empire. Less than 75 years later, Christianity will become the official religion of the Roman Empire. Sounds good, at least no more persecution. But my fellow believers in Christ, the sad thing about that is it headed us right into the Dark Ages. And people were dumbed down. And then they were just there to do whatever the church told them to do. Whatever the leaders said, and then that was it. They couldn't go in and and look at these letters and understand them. Now, church historians, sociologists can debate, can debate all they want, but there were no means of technology like we have today, no radio, no TV, no cars, no telegraphs, no iPods, no iPads, no laptops. Are laptops becoming ancient? <laughs> Everybody has the, the iPads now. Good thing we can use that, but they didn't have all those things. They had twelve disciples. Jesus dies, twelve disciples, and the largest circle of seventy around them. Then that was one hundred and twenty, 
in less than four centuries, though, it did become the official religion of the Roman Empire. But it had already gotten there within 30 years of Christ and made quite an impact of converting power of the Gospel. Jesus Christ can convert even people in Nero's household. This kind of thing can happen in our country today. Who knows how many the Lord has there. If people would preach the Word, it starts right here at the pulpit. This is where it's at. This is the power to change lives. Anything that we say or do, it's not going to change people's lives. But if we use this, God and His power will change who He wants. John Calvin said about this, For it is no common evidence of divine mercy that the Gospel had penetrated that sink of all crimes and iniquities. It is also the more wonderful because it is a rare thing for holiness to reign in courts. Oh, the amazing power of the Gospel of Christ. One last verse, folks, for Philippians here. Let's read it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace, it saves us. According to Romans 5.2, we stand in this grace. We live in this grace. Not only is it saving grace, Paul already started this letter out with grace to you. We're not only saved, but we live by this. We have desperate needs. We have needs. We have needs. And it's met by the grace of Christ. Isn't that great? We have needs spiritually, physically, mentally, every part of us. We have needs for comfort. We have needs for joy. We have needs for strength. Needs for a constant forgiveness going on. May we know the fullness of grace. This is our resource. This is what we draw upon. Grace. Because it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of Christ. See, Christ is the theme of this book. The letter to the Philippians. You, you can't hardly read a couple of verses until you come into the word Christ again. It's just constantly there. Have you noticed that? Just sprinkled, smattered all about. You start looking at the Bible. That's what the whole Bible is about. The Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. Right? We need Him so badly. Christ is the theme. You can't miss Him. We are to have the mind of Christ so that we can become like Christ. To live as Christ, to die as gain. We have the joy of Christ, as Philippians brings forth, the strength of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, the power of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, as we've seen so much in the last few weeks. He's all that. He is our lives. So by this grace of Christ, we are moving more and more to become like the One who is at the very center of our lives. He is our life. Well, so it goes for the book of Philippians. I hate to go out of the book of Philippians. It has been a tremendous treasure to myself. And I hope it's been very valuable to you guys. But never fear, we will start another book of the Bible and it will be the best book that we could be in when we're there. And I'm not so sure what that's going to be. But I think I might have an idea. Let's pray.